Thank you, Professor Minachi Bharat and Dr. Tom Clark for inviting me uh, to give this talk. I'm really sorry I can't be with you in Delhi in person, but I'm hoping this virtual plenary will nevertheless make a, a useful critical contribution to your conference and will generate good discussion around the conference theme of the familiar and the exotic. Now, I'm wanting to speak to this theme through taking you into a world that blends the absolutely mundane realm of daytime TV with that of the spirit world, soothsayers and other enchanted systems of knowledge, belief and practices. So we're going to enter this world of magical mundanity through the figure of the spiritual guru on Indian TV or life advice television. So in this talk I'm going to be using these figures as a kind of way of unsettling some of our core familiar assumptions around what we mean by modernity, which has tended to be framed in terms of liberal secular models of democratic development. So how might we think about the complex Indian TV landscape with its huge array of belief systems and linguistic and cultural frames uh, in terms of speaking to alternative models of modernity? Why lifestyle television and why in particular lifestyle experts and gurus? So I've been working for some years now on the topic of contemporary forms of popular lifestyle expertise, looking particularly at expert figures on primetime television who offer up forms of commercialised public pedagogy. So in much of the West over the past couple of decades, uh, we've seen the rise of reality and TV shows um, full of experts telling us how to live our lives. So everything from home makeover experts, health and fitness gurus, relationship uh, gurus, and shows like Super Nanny, where we're told how to optimally raise our children. Or even shows like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which you can see on the, on the slide here, where an entire team of gay men with various kinds of lifestyle expertise invade the homes of clueless straight men with terrible hair, no jobs and no fashion sense, to essentially make over their lives. So in the West, at least, um, I've argued in my, in my work that lifestyle experts on TV and elsewhere represent the equivalent of Victorian etiquette manuals, teaching people how to mould a coherent identity in complex times. So in this earlier work, uh, I've largely focused on Anglo-American television, but over the past six years, I've been working with colleagues on a project looking at the rise of lifestyle and reality television across uh, Asia more broadly. Uh, and in this project, our fairly simple premise was that if Anglo-American lifestyle television offers self-help advice for being an optimal subject or citizen, then by studying the rise of advice television in South and East Asia, which is a growing genre across the region, we could similarly gather insights into changing forms of subjecthood and sociality in, in the countries under study. Now, much of the work on the globalisation of reality and lifestyle television makes the assumption that these formats, in a sense, spread a certain kind of model of US-style neoliberal competitive individualism with a large dose of consumerism to the rest of the world. What we found, however, as we were researching developments on television in China, India, Singapore, Taiwan uh, and across 
South and East Asia, is that while on the one hand we were seeing all too familiar developments, so the rise of reality shows, hyper-consumerism on television, gurus selling the latest products and styles, at the same time, many TV shows uh, were doing quite different things and the ways audiences used them were significantly different. So we became increasingly aware of the problems of transplanting secular European frameworks of modernity and industrial capitalism in particular into Asia with its plurality of cultural and temporal trajectories of modernity. So one way of speaking to this multiplicity of modernities that I'm wanting to focus on um, today is uh, a very distinctive form of what I'm terming lifestyle expertise. And this is the figure of the spiritual guru on Indian television. So the term guru itself suggests the kind of shifting, culturally complex and globalised form, a travelling concept as it were. Now while, as you all know, religious television has featured on Indian small screens for decades, what I'm terming spiritual lifestyle television has taken off really within the past decade, with the deregulation of the industry and the broader liberalisation of the economy. Uh, and I should briefly note here that, of course, religious television is not a marginal genre um, that few people engage with, as it, as it tends to be uh, in other parts of the world, uh, particularly Anglo-American settings. In household research um, we conducted with uh, my colleague, Kiran Mullen-Harley, we visited numerous homes in Mumbai where we spent time with families and individuals watching and talking about television and associated lifestyle practices. Uh, and most of these households watch some kind of religious or spiritual television as part of their broader viewing practices. So these, these shows are in, are in no uh, way marginal. So turning um, to, to spiritual television, the Indian TV landscape is inhabited by a huge array of gurus, from fairly down-home figures on provincial, provincial cable channels to rather more glitzy gurus on the bigger Hindi general entertainment channels. But here I'm just going to speak about a couple of different categories of spiritual gurus. So the first set of, of TV um, gurus I want to look at are commercial life advisors who essentially blend spiritualism with questions of fate and fortune. And here I'm talking about astrologers like Misra, pictured here, fortune tellers and experts in Vastu. What these diverse figures have in common is their claims to offer practical life solutions and advice for dealing with an increasingly complex, stressful and risky world. So in a nutshell, they sell themselves as problem solvers albeit offering solutions that, off, that often embrace magical thinking. Teleastrologists such as Misra represent one of the more popular forms of mystical advice, and Misra brands himself as a neo-astrologist. He's highly entrepreneurial, uh, and as you can see, he's partial to a bit of bling. So he's very much part of the, the kind of new breed of enterprising astrologers whose TV persona is just one part of a broader multimedia brand. And one of the more intriguing aspects of these tele-astrologists is their prominence not just on entertainment channels. They often appear also on news channels, with the shows themselves utilising the kind of communicative conventions of news, so often featuring anchors, a direct mode of address to audience, 
and some shows even feature breaking astrological news, although here they often break with the rules of news time by predicting the future, so offering a kind of future news, as it were. A growing number of these figures are differentiating themselves in what is a very crowded market through offering predictions geared to specific audiences and lifestyle needs. So on the popular business channel Z Business, for instance, Sundeep Kochar has a show called Astronomics in which he makes financial investment predictions for the day and offers one-on-one -on -one economic advice to audience members. So here's Sundeep's website, um, and like many spiritual TV gurus, he's a bit of a multi-credentialed multitasker, which apparently you need to be in the current competitive spiritual market. So I just want to show a brief uh, opening clip of Astronomics to give you a bit of a flavour for these kinds of shows. हेलो एंड वेलकम टू एस्ट्रोनॉमिक्स एंड दिस इज संदीप कोचर तकदीर अगर पत्थर की लकीर है जो बदल नहीं सकती तो कुछ चोट जिंदगी में काफी है इसे तराशने के लिए वेरी गुड ये मैंने लिखा था तो खुद की तारीफ नहीं कर रहा हूं मैं उस थॉट की तारीफ कर रहा हूं कि कई बार हमें ऐसा लगता है कि हमारे साथ क्यों हो रहा है यू नो क्योंकि जो आप चाहते हैं वो जरूरी तो नहीं कि हो ही जाए और जो हो रहा है वो जरूरी तो नहीं कि आपके लिए अच्छा हो तो आखिर ये बात समझाएगा कौन और समझेगा कौन ऑब्वियसली मैं समझाऊंगा और आप समझेंगे क्योंकि देखिए एवरीथिंग एज ए रीजन इन लाइफ कहा था कभी कि अगर गांव में बाढ़ नहीं आती तो आप शहर में नहीं जाते तो जो लोग भी शहर में आए तो सोचे तो सही कि वो शहर में आए क्यों थे क्या सरकमस्टांसेस थे तो आपको नहीं याद आता कि अगर वो नहीं होता तो ये नहीं होता तो एवरीथिंग इन लाइफ एज ए रीजन तो कुछ चोट जिंदगी में काफी है आपकी तकदीर को तराशने के लिए तो यहां पर आपको ये नहीं कहा जाता है कि कुंदन को भी यू you नो know, पीट पीट के वो बनता है सोना गरम करके उसको और जो कोल में से निकलता है डायमंड इतने प्रेशर में तो प्रेशर मेक यूज जिम्स दैट्स अ ब्यूटीफुल थॉट तो आप भी समझ लीजिए कि अगर स्ट्रेस है आपके ऊपर सो दिस प्रोग्राम इज स्ट्रक्चर्ड लाइक मेनी ऑफ दीस शोस बाय काइंड ऑफ जनरल इंट्रोडक्शन इन व्हिच द गुरु डिस्कर्सेस ऑन द मीनिंग ऑफ लाइफ फॉलोड बाय वेरियस एस्ट्रोलॉजिकल प्रेडिक्शंस फॉर द डे एंड देन कॉलर्स इन व्हिच द द गुरु गिव्स वन ऑन वन एडवाइस सो आई डिडंट हैव टाइम टू शो यू सम ऑफ दोस कॉलर्स बट फॉलोइंग दैट क्लिप सुंदी टेक्स टेक्स कॉल्स फ्रॉम पर्टिकुलर ऑडियंस मेंबर्स एंड गिव्स देम स्पेसिफिक एडवाइस सो ऑन दिस पर्टिकुलर एपिसोड सुंदीप इंट्रोड्यूसेस द शो विद अ वैरायटी ऑफ एफोरिजम्स um somewhat contradictory aphorisms so just to give you a flavor of that for those of you who can't speak hindi uh he tells us that if fate is a line set in stone then the wounds you face in life can often chisel it to perfection you may often wonder why this is happening to you if you ponder these questions i will give you advice to understand these quandaries stay happy and positive hope is the most important part of life If you're in a dark tunnel, you also may want to know how long it is. Good times also can't last long. So it's somewhat contradictory, but a, a variety of kind of aphorisms that these shows tend to begin with. And then he shifts to these kind of just-in-time new-style astrological predictions for the day. So, for instance, Aries, your relationship is in a bit of stress. Eat out and take your wife with you. Invest in consumer durables, multinational corporations, gold and silver. So the general flavor of the show is a kind of strange mix of investment advice, 
life advice, often involving magical solutions such as wearing gemstones, and a kind of resigned, it's written in the stars, fatalism. So in contrast to the more mass appeal of teleastrologists, a range of spiritual life advisors offer rather more niche advice to middle or upper middle class viewers. So for instance, live Vastu with Dr. Puneet Tulwa, who looks rather more like an architect than a fortune teller. So again, these shows draw on new style semiotics, presumably to appeal to male viewers and to give some kind of rational legitimacy um, to the shows in general. And this show uses a kind of new style split screen with Dr. Chawa on one side advising on the topic for the day and answering calls from viewers, while on the other side we see a flow of images of luxurious Western-style home interiors on the right. The show also features a call-in audience segment where Dr. Chawa responds to questions about troubled relationships, misbehaving pets, etc., making suggestions about how to, to paint your house, what colours uh, will improve your prosperity, how to place mirrors to increase our home energy, home's energy, etc. And here we've got a, an image of Dr. Chawa doing one of his surprise home visits, uh, which kind of emulates in many ways the sort of Western home makeover format. In his book, A God of One's Own, Ulrich Beck argues that religion and spiritualism are on the rise around the world, but in forms increasingly tied to individual needs, desires, and biographies. One central role for spiritual advice within this context is to manage and minimise the risks that accompany living in a, in a late modern world. To a certain extent, this secularisation and rationalisation of spiritualism is exemplified by figures like Sundeep Kochar and Dr. Chulwa, who increasingly frame their advice and propose remedies in terms of lifestyle choices and investments in the family and the self. However, much of this advice is not necessarily framed in terms of internalised modes of individual empowerment or agency that is taking control of one's destiny, but rather involve a degree of externalisation of risk and faith, of faith and faith, of giving oneself over to larger forces, whether they be one's bhagya, the alignment of the planets, or the science of vastu architecture and home decor. So what I'm arguing here is that this, this first group of gurus do speak to a certain extent to the rise of privatised, commercialised, post-secular advice uh, in India uh, in a kind of Beckian neoliberal context. But the resources offered the audience on these shows draw not just on communicative rationality, but suggest a broader parasocial world of, of spirits and Vedic planetary forces. We're offered a blend here then of a, of a plurality of beliefs and practices, of seemingly incommensurable systems of calculated risk management with magical thinking and practices, of liberal individualism with externalised models of fate and destiny. So in this next section I want to talk about another uh, somewhat different example of spiritual gurudom, oh, although with some connections to the, the figures that we've just talked about. So many lifestyle TV scholars argue that lifestyle experts are a product of neoliberalism, particularly this kind of U US style um, uh, competitive 
individual neoliberalism. If in a neoliberal context the state expects individuals to manage their own self-care, then lifestyle television apparently has stepped into this gap. So in the West we see the rise, for instance, of chefs like Jamie Oliver, who increasingly are teaching us how to be healthy citizens rather than just cooking a meal. In India, Nandini Guptu argues we're seeing similar developments, but instead of Jamie Oliver, we have a plethora of religious gurus making money out of promoting self-care through spiritual advice. So she argues that in India it's religious gurus who propagate the notion of a resilient ancient religious tradition as the source of powerful self-care packages. Religion here, she suggests, is pressed into action in, essential, in an essentialized construction of the Indian self as quintessentially enterprising. So here I want to discuss um, one of the more controversial spiritual superstars uh, in the Indian TV landscape, the yoga practitioner Baba Ramdev. And I think he's a very useful um, figure in terms of illustrating uh, and complicating the notion of, of what we might call kind of guru governmentality, uh, the assumption that religious gurus are an extension of the globalisation of secular modes of enterprise. So Ramdev's guru status, um, as I'm sure you all know, is inextricably tied to his success as an entrepreneur in both the religion and well-being market. He owns the hugely successful Ayurvedic company Patanjali and claims that all kinds of modern illnesses can be treated by yoga and Ayurvedic drugs. So in this sense, he fits very well with Mira Nanda's description of contemporary religion in India as a state-temple-corporate complex uh, in her book, The God Market. Above all, Ramdev has been a very astute media player, and he now has a ubiquitous presence on most major Hindi language channels. Ramdev's TV programs include yoga targeted at specific markets, such as yoga for young women and recommended yoga asanas for losing weight. The baby, the Baba's just-in-time blend of ancient Hindu Vedas with a health-oriented brand of yoga can be read then in terms of a kind of Beckian shift to a privatised neoliberalism or, or neo-spiritualism. And Gandini's argument about the enterprise self. But Randy's distinctiveness as a New Age fitness guru, I would argue, lies in his, in his linking of the yogic habitus to a more collectivised national body politic that isn't so much about competitive individualism and enterprise, at least not in a more globalised sense. And here he's perhaps best known for his mass yoga camps, which are attended by thousands of people and which began to be televised back in 1995. Participating in his yoga sessions, whether at his camps or in one's lounge room, can be seen as participating in a collectivised form of national healing, or what Chagravati has called uh, somatic nationalism. So I just want to briefly show uh, a clip from one of uh, Ramdev's yoga, um, uh, mass yoga camps. Trayam ekatra sayamaha, tajyat prajyaloka tasya bhumish vinyoga, prati bhadva sarvam. Ye kis tarhese 
हम अपनी अंत शक्ति अंत ज्योति को जगा करके व्याधि से मुक्त हो करके और मुक्ति के सोपान तक आगे बढ़ते ही पूरी प्रक्रिया सिखाएंगे सब खड़े हो जाएंगे आज आपको रोग अनुसार योग और रोगानुसार योग के साथ साथ योग का जो पूरा पैकेज है वो तो योगिक जोगिंग सूर्य नमस्कार बारह आसन और आठ प्राणायाम आपको सिखाते ही हैं कल भी सिखाया था अब देखो किसी को वजन कम करना है तो दस अभ्यास करने लंबे लंबे सांस भरते रहो और मोटापा कैसे दूर होता है योग से शुगर बीपी स्ट्रेस एस्मा अर्थराइटिस So while Ramdev's yoga asanas and teaching are about building new and improved Indian citizens these are not straightforwardly the enterprise selves of global neoliberalism as Chakravorty argues Ramdev promotes yoga as an alternative and effective medicine to biomedicine and sees the nation as sapped of its strength by globalization So instead he kind of offers himself up as a kind of crusader against the modern pharmaceutical industry for instance he's rather controversially called for a ban on, on western medicine uh and a crusader against the lifestyle ills of the, of the modern world more broadly pro-nationalist he recently argued that india doesn't need multinational companies but has all the skills and finance it needs integral to the nation already Chakravorty links Ramdev's quote construction of a somatic nationalist bond through shared bodily performances end quote to an anti-colonial tradition which can be linked back to popular ascetic nationalists such as Mahatma Gandhi Now this is a quote from Maya Warrior who is a UK based religious studies scholar And I'm using it here as it illustrates nicely I think some of the key problems we've faced in the lifestyle television project on Asia. Uh well perhaps I think less problems than than generative tensions around firstly the importation of euro modern frameworks uh into differently modern spaces and secondly the issue of generalization and abstraction when working in spaces of extreme complexity which is certainly the case in in India and also China where we've been doing work and i think here there's also a tendency to generalize the experience uh of the kinds of upper middle class cosmopolitan audiences that um theorists often tend to to work with and there's a tendency here to generalize the experience of the academic class itself so i think while warriors quote um contains some relevant and useful uh, arguments um it's problematic to to universalize this this experience to that of the entire population of india i'd argue and i say this as a non uh, india specialist that doing research in highly differentiated social and media landscapes like india calls for a way of working that attempts to articulate rather than gloss over or manage complexity and that pays attention to cultural genealogies of media discourses and practices as suggested for instance by the Ramdev case and his links to earlier anti-colonial movements 
So by way of conclusion, I want to briefly speak to a final example that I think nicely complicates uh, the notion that the rise of spiritualism is purely about a kind of globalisation of liberal privatised individualism. So in their uh, edited collection on the guru in South Asia, Copeman and Ikigame use the term magnified persons. And I think this is a really useful term for capturing the sense in which televisual gurus such as Ramdev not only embody a kind of celebrity persona, but also carry with them a kind of former spiritual incarnation, a kind of ghostly shadow, as it were. And this is something gestured towards uh, in the images that often accompany even the most secular of spiritual advisors on Indian television. So the opening credits of spiritual programs commonly depict the show's baba accompanied by a kind of halo, the equivalent of spiritual glamour shots. And here we have Dr. Chawa posing for his spiritual close-up, as it were, along with his spiritual shadow. This magnified sense of personhood is not only held by the guru himself or herself, but also by his or her followers, with such gurus often seen as representing the collective image of their followers. For instance, followers of some Indian gurus will give blood in the name of that leader, with the emphasis being as much on spiritually transforming transfusion recipients as saving uh, the lives of individuals. So this is a truly collectivised act that is once about civic duty, that is also devotional, and that is a kind of transubstantiation of individual bodies by the gift of what one uh, group of followers has called liquid love. So this brings me back to the, the kind of final key point that I signposted in, in the introduction, and this, this is the utility of theories of multiple modernities to understanding complexity in increasingly complex, transnationally shaped local media contexts. So in this paper, I've suggested reading Spiritual Life um, on Indian television, uh, that we use this, this notion of a kind of multiple modernities approach, which takes seriously, for instance, the idea of television not so much as a secular, but as a magical space, shaped by visible and invisible forces of the state, of spirits, of markets, but also of gods, where agency is individualised, yes, but also collectivised, where public personas can be both living brands, but also spiritual avatars. While the space of spiritual lifestyle TV is on the one hand a highly marketized space, speaking to the audience in certain ways as homo economists, it is also a very enchanted, exotic space, where personal and collectivist agency is intertwined with a range of other logics of fate and fortune that take us beyond a secular neoliberal modernity. So I want to um, end, on, end on that note, but um, if you'd like to read further about our study on modernity in television in South and East Asia, I recommend you read our, our book, which is available on, on e-book and as a paperback. So thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful conference. <laughs>